Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast, Hudson Valley Uncensored, to highlight and discuss topics without fear. This is not a conservative podcast, nor is it a liberal podcast. This is an American podcast. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. I'm outraged by censorship, and I dislike groupthink. I don't care if you are on the left or the right. I want to interview people and explore ideas, regardless of the politics that are outside mainstream conventional thinking. I want to ask the questions that others won't. How fragile are we as a country that we are raising our children to be afraid of ideas? At Hudson Valley Uncensored, we won't be afraid. My intention is to stay true to each of you, true to myself, and to interview people who will also be true to our audience. Again, my name is Brett Freeman. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. All right, welcome to Jennifer Marr, the Chief Operating Officer of J. Philip Real Estate. She describes herself on social media as grandmother to Zendaya. Is that, did I pronounce that correctly? Zendaya. Zendaya? Yeah. A, a mom, wife, business coach, a sunset chaser, a real estate, I believe RE stands for real estate, real estate dragon slayer, and a beach bum. I also know that you are the founder of the Business Council of Putnam County and the former board chair of the Greater Mayapak Carmel Chamber of Commerce. How in the world do you find time to fit in all these roles and do you sleep? <laughs> I don't sleep a lot. I'm actually one of those people that needs like four or five hours and I'm good. But that doesn't mean I'm productive for the other 19 or 20 hours. I do my best. The trick for me is I wake up at like four and between four and about six, I get a ton of work done. And then I try to work my mind and work my body for uh, at least 45 minutes to an hour. And then I'm come into my regular day, but I've already done what most people can't even get done in eight hours. I just boom, boom, boom. And what time do you go to sleep? Um, It can be anywhere between seven and 10. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, on Sunday nights, I tend to go to sleep really early. I love going to sleep super early on a Sunday night. So, yeah. um, so but most nights it's around nine or 10. Okay. Um, and you said you uh, spend some time exercising in the morning. What kind of exercise do you do? Well, I have exercise ADD, so I try to do a little bit of everything. Right now, I'm working out with Sonata something. She's an online trainer. So I signed up with her for 12 weeks, joined Club Fit, joined Rebel Gym. I do hot yoga in a private sauna box type thing that they have at Rebel Gym. And at Club Fit, we've been playing tennis and just you know using the machines. I walk up my hill, which is a crazy hill right here in downtown Maypac. I walk the dog, you know, uh, probably five, six days a week up that hill, which is a pretty intense cardio workout. Just a little bit of everything. Great. And um, you and I, in many ways, are complete opposites. I'm a complete introvert. Uh, when I first started my business, I got to know you through the business networking scene in Mayapak. I networked because I had to network. As I've grown my business, I've come to rely more and more on my sales staff to do much of the networking. Uh, this is in part because I find networking exhausting. Before I go to networking meetings, 
There were events. I spent a great deal of mental energy just preparing for them. Once I'm there, I'm fine. But by the time I leave, I'm exhausted. I know extroverts are people who derive energy from being around others. So instead of leaving an event exhausted, extroverts describe themselves as leaving energized. Now, I know you've described yourself as a connector of people. Would you also describe yourself as an extrovert? And moreover, how do you do it? How do you find the energy to meet and talk to so many different people? So you will be amazed to find that I am not an extrovert. I am an introvert. And it drains me like you wouldn't believe. And I pretty much spend my weekends in pursuit of not seeing other human beings, not getting dressed and not having to be on can be a little bit of a challenge because sometimes like my family wants together on the week, gets together on the weekend. I'm like, oh, so when you said the other day about, you know, we had to reschedule and I was like, I love canceled plans. That's why I am an extreme introvert or I'm an extroverted introvert. And I guess, honestly, I got so involved with everything because of my social anxiety. It's one of the ways that it's how I deal with my social anxiety. Be in charge makes it a lot easier. So a lot of people deal with it in other ways. And I just poof, go, right, I don't want to be a participant. I want to be in charge. That's uh, li- literally how I ended up doing so much stuff. Crazy. So you like to control things rather than having other people. It, it takes away my anxiety if I'm in charge. But I've gotten a lot better at that. I don't, I don't need to be in charge uh, of everything. <laughs> when you go on a road trip with a few people, are you the one driving? No. Nope. Okay. I, I actually do not need to be in charge. I do if I feel like there is a lack of leadership or a, you know something missing, or if something's inefficient, I immediately have to fix it, get it in the right order, um, make sure it's operating the way I think is good. So, but if something's working perfectly, a, a system, a business, an operation, whatever, then I don't need to be in control. But if I feel that control is needed. Yeah. Then I'm a crazy control freak. Jen, I I don't know um, when it was the last time that I saw you, but I follow you on Facebook. In the book, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, he describes the law of the few, where he describes connectors as the minority of people who take the vast amount or who make the vast amount of introductions to everyone else. I'm certain that Gladwell was talking about people like you. How in the world do you have nearly 5,000 Facebook friends and nearly 2,000 followers? Now, I'm not even sure how an individual has followers on Facebook. I thought that was only limited to celebrities. Um, I also calculated that 30% of all my Facebook friends are also friends with you. So how in the world do you do that? Does being a prolific Facebook poster have anything to do with it also? You know, I, I adapted to Facebook early on and I love the memories. Actually, as I was waiting for, I was looking at some memories. Number one, it shows me how much I've improved um, as a human being and as a writer in the past 12 years or whatever I've been on there. Um, yes, I do think um, social media has helped me to be a connector big time. And again, I don't think that was a natural role for me. It's something I sort of just adapted to. I mean... When I started selling real estate here 24 years ago, I didn't know anybody. And now I know more people um, than people who grew up here. So does it take a lot of time? No, it really doesn't. It's, you know, who who said it? If you want, I think it was Zig Ziglar. You know, if you um, spend your life helping people, you will succeed. That's 
my version of that quote, but really I enjoy um, helping people with whatever they need help with. It's one of my life pur- purpose. My passion is to help people. And um, actually I have changed my career trajectory to become a national coach and, you know, like a five-year goal because of how much I love helping people. So I think it's more helping people than connecting people necessarily that, that um, I'm really good at. But people think of me when, you know, when they need anything, it seems like I need a plumber, I need a babysitter, I need a painter, I need a handyman, which is good. You know, um, it took a long time to get to that. And I've made a million friends just by being that, what you're calling a connector. So it's enjoyable, but again, you know, it's hard to have downtime when you've created a community as such, as I think that we, we have, I say we, um, I don't know who we is, but I guess I just don't like saying me. <laughs> Does that and, make and, sense? And, and of course, and, and, and I guess the weekends are when you really try to remove yourself a little bit from that. I do. You yeah. me on a weekend, and usually the first day of week is an extension of the weekend for me. I come out of my shell. I usually still have a hoodie and a baseball cap on. I don't really wear makeup typically on the weekends. Yeah. So you you also seem to have the Forrest Gump phenomenon. And what I mean by that is it seems that it's a prerequisite to be a successful candidate for office in Putnam County is to be friends with Jen Marr. Describe your friendship with some of these people, including the late judge, Jimmy Reitz. Wow. So I got involved with politics by accident uh, years and years ago. It's got to be almost 15 years ago. Greg Ball came into this area and he kind of like really shook everything up. And I became friends with him. And I didn't really understand that I was making a political choice and a decision when I became friends with him. I actually just liked his energy and his just didn't care what anybody thought about him. Now he's a controversial figure. There's a lot of people who do not, does not care for him. Um, But I actually think he did a lot of good for this county. He really shook things up, really shook things up at a time when they needed to really be shook up. So that's kind of how I got involved, but it was bad. I was like the black sheep of Putnam County for a really, really long time. Um, I was for some reason seen, I don't want to say like as a threat, but basically, yeah, there was people in these um, party committees who really didn't want me around. They started blogging about me on LOHUD. It took like 10 years for my name to be cleared from Google from the stuff that they blogged anonymously about me. And then they printed these blogs and who they is, I don't know. They printed these blogs, mailed it to my active clients, mailed it to the boards that I served on at at that time. And I went through a lot of hell. And instead of retreating, I did sort of disappear for like a month or two. And then I came back and I founded the Putnam County League of Women Voters. And with a group of people, we founded the Putnam County Business Council. And I quickly learned that I'm much more impactful on this side of the fence. And besides that, I really don't need my past dog out. A very good a friend of mine that I've just become friends with, actually, you're aware of, an article is about to come out about her past. And um, it's not something I ever wanted to live through. Besides that, I like to misbehave presently. I like to be able to tell people to go, am I allowed to curse on this show? Of course you can. I like to tell people to go fuck themselves when they yep. deserve it. Yep. And I and I don't want to have to live my life under uh, scrutiny, which in all honesty, 
is what you decide when you do get into an elected position. So I just became friends with a whole bunch of um, elected officials by really through the Putnam County Business Council and the League of Women Voters, which my mother now uh, runs and has run for the last 10 years. You know, I don't even think I voted for Mary Ellen O'Dell. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm shocked you're saying that right now. The first time okay. ran. Yeah. Um, I, th- I can't remember, to be yeah. honest with you. But she certainly has earned my respect. And so have a lot of the other elected officials. And I only speak from people from from a position of which uh, I um, am knowledgeable of, which is the business community. And um, County Executive Mary Ellen O'Dell has been amazing for um, this business community. And if you can compare the administrative prior to her to this administrative um whatever you say, uh, we are so much more involved in um, the Hudson Valley region and um, with New York City. A lot of that just didn't even exist. We were kind of the forgotten county, you know? And and actually, I think everything you're saying to me, I believe everything you're saying, I I think you're a very genuine person. And I'm not surprised that you kind of got yourself into trouble because I think that you probably went into these relationships really genuinely just wanting to be friends with people, you know, wanting to advance the cause of, of, of the business community in Putnam County. That's always what I've, I, I've, I don't think I've ever known another agenda of yours than just simply wanting to advance the business community. And you seem to be someone who would be friends with, you know, anyone on both sides of the aisle in order to advance that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, Absolutely. you know, it's a shame that people thought you had an agenda when you, know, you cl- clearly did not. Well, you know what? It's funny. I don't know. Like, I know I've grown a ton in in the last 15 years. So, you know, maybe I didn't always have the best agenda, you know, and I think it's okay to um, admit that as a human being. I definitely said some things wrong and went about things the wrong way. And I've learned a lot of that the hard way. Um, You know, there's, there's ways to get your point across and you don't have to piss off people to do that. And it's amazing how it took a good like eight years of going against the grain to finally say, okay, this is this is how you um, affect change. This is how you go about things and get buy-in and get that validity that's needed to um, make change. Unfortunately, it's difficult because somebody could have the right intentions. And if they don't go about things the right way, they won't get the results that they're looking for. And I did spend a long time in that space, even business-wise. I I was like so connected, but it really wasn't doing anything for my pocket. You know, it's really the last six, seven years that it's all kind of come full circle and, and learning how to take those connections that even though you have good intentions and you're only doing good, that how to also in turn have that benefit your business. And quite frankly, that's okay because the more successful I will become, the more people that I will help. That is my commitment, a thousand percent. So it's a very healthy way to go after success or you know hitting your goals or getting the results that you want, as long as you are committed to keep giving back and to keep benefiting and helping other people. So I can't say that that was always my objective. I don't know what, what it was. You know, I just kind of landed in it. And uh, and I had a, a more powerful impact than I ever knew. And once I discovered that, I, I realized that it was actually a responsibility and one that I take pretty seriously. It's fascinating, you know, just to see the evolution and, you know, 
course, you know, don't we all grow and, and, and change and, you know, we all have, you know, different motives along the way. And, uh, you know, uh, that's just, it's very interesting to hear. And um, you, you grew up in Staten Island in Brooklyn. I, I assume that's correct. I read that somewhere, uh, Hudson Valley Magazine. How and when did you wind up in Mayapak? Okay, so you, I'm just going to give you the truth because, you know, uh, seems to be the theme of the week. And um, I actually um, had a lot of trouble in my 20s. I struggled with drugs and uh, illegal behavior. Uh-huh. Now you got a scoop, Brett. Um, all right, all right. Oh, look, am I, am I, am I, oh, this is a podcast. So it doesn't matter. And I wound up pregnant. Uh-huh. And um, my mother had moved up here. She actually was tired of, she, she worked, she lived in Bay Ridge and worked in Red Hook. And it would take her like two hours to get to work just from one side of Brooklyn to the other. And she'd be staring at, you know, staring at somebody's tailpipe. She decided a few years prior, she was going to move up here. We knew this area because my uncle and um, we used to meet my uncle. He lived in Newtown, Connecticut, but we used to meet him at the Plum Bush in Cold Spring. Okay. Um, that's of- right. I live in Newtown, Connecticut. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we love Newtown. So, um, so my mom just decided to move up here. So I obviously came home with my tail between my legs and, um, started over up here. My daughter, my eldest daughter, Olivia really saved my life. So when I came into Putnam County, I was one hot mess and I got my real estate license while I was pregnant with Olivia and that was it. I never turned back. That's how I wound up here. And I guess that's a great story of second chances and oh, redemption. Okay. And, you know, and people look at successful people and they think that they were born successful, but, you know, sometimes, you know, people have to really work at it and, and they make mistakes along the way. I have to work at it almost every minute of every day. Uh, it does not come easy for me and um, nothing really has ever come easy for me. I'm a high school dropout. I'm now a college dropout too, because I went back to college. And, I don't know, last February, right after the pandemic hit, I was like, what the heck am I doing? I don't need to go to college. I don't yeah. need another thing on my plate. So I dropped out of college too. So nothing has ever, you know, ever been easy for me. And I mean, I had a wonderful childhood, but it, you know, we were really poor. We moved like 20 something times, no exaggeration. So, and my mom was basically raised by whatever aunt, uncle, you know, that was convenient at the time. She wasn't raised by parents and, um, you know, she got pregnant at 17 and I was raised by her, not, you know, my father wasn't in the picture. So yeah, it's an everyday battle just to, um, be the best version of myself that I possibly can be. Well, I think you're telling the story will definitely be an inspiration to others because I do think that when people think of Jen Mar in Putnam County, they think of a, you know, they think of someone who's very successful and has really achieved a lot. So, you know, it's incredible. And, and it also goes to show you that you don't need, um, you know, those academic credentials necessarily in life. Um, I'm, I'm actually a strong believer in that. I, I don't think that people need that. I think there's a lot to be learned in life itself. Um, oh, absolutely. And um, I kicked Chris's ass in Scrabble yesterday. And I was like, hmm, so how did those eight years of college do for you? That's great. That's wonderful. Now, you, know, you started your career in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. Why did you eventually leave that field and end up in real estate? Oh, because I'm a party girl. And I uh, wound up pregnant with my, my daughter. And single and in big time trouble. And it's just too much of a party atmosphere for someone like me. Um, in the restaurant industry? 
Oh God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when I, and th- at this point I lived in Manhattan next to an after hours bar. So by the time I get done partying with my friends, we would then go to the after hour club that was in my building. I mean, we just never slept. It was insane. So um, I think I would be mature enough to handle that at this age, but I was not back then. And then when I came up here, I started like a, a catering ghost company, a, a ghost catering company, and also a catering service company. So I would take like Bucci's or Thomas Fox caterers and they would be too busy or they would overbook. They would hire myself and it would go in their name. And then I also did the catering service, but I only, I did it for like two years and I just hated that side of the hospitality business. Like I literally was like, go get your own freaking food in the kitchen. Like I just, <laughs> I hated it. Yeah. It's not the same. So um, that's when I decided to go full-time in real estate. And how did you choose real estate? I think, you know, unfortunately our industry attracts a lot of people who are down and out in their twenties, with no education, because it's something you can do without getting educated. And, um, when I guess that's why I chose it, I'm definitely not cut out for like having a boss never have. So that was probably my biggest motivating factor is like, what can I do where I'm in charge? And so I'm so glad and so grateful for this career. It's been amazing. I raised two kids on my own pretty much. And you know, obviously I have my mom who is a tremendous help. My ex-husband, Steve is actually, he's a good dad. Um, but I was pretty much on my own and, um, not, no, other, I don't know what else I would have done. I was able to be class mom, go on all the class trips. I was able to coach cheerleading for nine years. And, and if my kids were sick, call in, don't, you know, whatever. So very, very grateful for this career. A lot of flexibility, it seems. A lot of flexibility. And, and no ceiling. There really is no ceiling. Now, it seems your focus, tell me if I'm wrong, is on commercial real estate. Have you um, gone more into residential or? Honestly, my main focus is building the company for this, you know, for uh, I'm now the COO as of like, I don't know, it's probably a year now. Um, so my focus is really growing the company to be a billion dollar company. And then my focus is to become a national coach. So my focus is more on growing the company, growing the people within the company. I mean, I do still list and sell real estate, but I actually have people that do it with me or for me. So like, if you were like, John, I have this, then we, we have, I can actually do that. And I do both residential and commercial, but I did specialize more in commercial probably in the last 10 years. And I enjoyed that. It's a little less emotional. And, oh, I do have an awesome commercial project coming though. One of my clients bought the Sterling building in Carmel. Okay. Um, so that entire first floor, we gutted it. It was a bank and we gutted the entire first floor. So that's 6,000 square feet. And we're turning that into a high-end kind of retail food office building okay. uh, with like a huge center court that we will have kiosks in and that we will have uh, pop-up dining, pop-up artists, seasonal sales. Like, so it's going to be this very community-oriented constantly changing interactive type location. So we're looking for like artisanal type um, vendors. Like we're talking to Jarworthy. I hope they go there. We're talking to, you know, people, Brooklyn Organic Kitchen, Flory K's, like these different kind of um, 
mom and pop shops that, you know, perhaps would want a second location or have grab and go style food. Um, even, you know, an accountant would be a good person in, uh, in this facility, boutiques, makeup, soap, crafts, like all of that kind of stuff. So we're super excited to open that. And it's going to be beautiful and high-end. We're talking like glass and steel and concrete with like that steampunk feel. And that's across the street from Putnam Plaza, correct? Yep. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice building over there. So that excites me. You know, yeah. that 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 excites me. I, I'm not quite as excited anymore. I couldn't work with a buyer right now. Yeah. You like, no, even if you gave me a commission up front, I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. And, and, and you're well suited for something like that, obviously, because you you do know so many different people in different industries. Yeah. So, and yeah. and have a good idea of what will do well here and what yeah. will after watching it for so watching, you know, what works and what doesn't work in this county. It's a very unique place. But I do think we have a lot of new blood up here too. Like, I mean, the transactions were up 67% the first quarter over last quarter. I mean, that's that's a lot of people moving in. So it'll be exciting. I think we can get it. We can pull a little more trendy type restaurants and retail here now. That's driving up prices too, correct? With all the people moving in. I mean, it's it's sort of a you know a good thing for people looking to sell property, and um, you know definitely I know um, we did a publication in our Katona newspaper uh, called Living in Katona, and we interviewed a bunch of real estate agents down there who said um, you know they don't see the trend stopping anytime soon, in part because people have changed how they're working. People who lived in Lower Westchester who were commuting to New York City are now moving to Northern Westchester uh, and I assume to Putnam County. So, you know, the demographics are probably changing a lot in in the area over the past year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the the elections too, because I think we were almost 50-50 Democrat-Republican as of last year. So it'll be really interesting to see you know, when we go to election again, uh, assuming everybody gets registered, but I have a feeling that that's going to shift quite a bit, which will change the dynamics here somewhat if the Democratic Party is ready for it. But I don't think they are. Sorry, yeah. Scott. Love you. <laughs> that's very interesting. And um, I guess how does someone spend so much time um, meeting people? How did you handle the pandemic? What were your biggest personal and professional challenges uh, during this time? So I immediately went to work with the business Putnam County Business Council. So, you know, the first two months, there was nothing going on real estate wise, kind of came to a grinding halt. And we went into a 24-7, you know, cycle of chasing the news and getting it out to the business community, hosting webinars, hosting seminars, connecting people who couldn't get PPP or couldn't get any of the EIDL money with the elected officials that could help them, advocating for proper guidelines for businesses. Like, actually, I put an article out this week that I got a lot of negative feedback on. I didn't go in the courier. I'll be in the courier next week regarding... Like right now, the onus is on the business owners again. You know, when at least when there were clear guidelines, you can point to a sign and say, I'm sorry, you have to put a mask on. But now, look, the world is in a 50-50 place. 50% of people are like, the whole thing's a hoax. Not a hoax, but you know what I mean? 
The hoax people are less, but oh, people, some people think everyone's overreacting. and yeah. Exactly. And they, yeah. they don't care about masks and this and that. And then you have the other 50% who are extremely concerned and afraid and justifiably. I've seen some really weird things with this virus. Okay. So I respect both ways, but the bottom line is as a business owner, regardless of your politics, you have to realize that you're in a divided world. So unless you want, you're willing to alienate 50% of your potential consumers, you really have to make some big decisions and, and figure out how to enforce them. You know, so businesses really struggle, not just financially, but with this role that we had to take on. And it's scary. Listen, I had to quarantine my business. I, I tested positive for COVID twice. Oh, wow. I, and um, both times I had a negative and a positive test. So it's bizarre. The second time it was quite obvious I had it. The first time I'm not sure. And I didn't get the antibody test in time. But anyway, I've had to quarantine the company and the you know real estate and law because they're connected. Like four times we had to quarantine. And the first time my secretary was pregnant. And then I had been very close that day with one of my agents and blah, blah, blah. I spent the whole week completely freaked out. Like number one, I don't want anybody to not be healthy, but number two, I had no idea of consequences of COVID if you're not enforcing or following guidelines and so on and so forth as a business owner. I guess it makes it easier now. You can say, well, there was no state mandate. Who knows? It's really, there's no law. There's no precedent in the law at all. And there's no insurance. So I think it's a really scary place for business owners. So I just went to work and that's yeah. it. And we, then yeah. the real estate market went nuts. So I haven't stopped since the pandemic started. And before the shutdown, I knew the writing was on the wall. And Chris was telling me I was crazy and I don't read the news. I don't read the news, watch the news or do any of that. And then I immediately started following Cuomo and um, what's, what's his name? President Trump. Yeah. Uh, immediately started following them. And I think we were one of the first businesses to shut down in the county. I remember um, during, you know, late March and um, I, I saw the writing on the wall also. I mean, I really, in everything you talked about, I mean, we experienced it internally with our office. Um, we actually, we downsized, I mean, because of the pandemic and it's actually been a great thing, but we, you know, we had an office up until December and most people were not coming. One of the, my most vulnerable employees was the one coming and not really wearing a mask, which panicked me because I was scared for him. You know, so I, I understand that. I guess, uh, you know, also just being where you were with the business community, you know, with the business council, and also just as a, as a, a entrepreneur yourself with Jay Phillip, anytime did you, did you experience fear? I mean, what, you know, financial fear? I mean, what, yeah, I had some crazy moments. I mean, I hit the wall many times through the pandemic. Um, my granddaughter was born just 12 days before the world went crazy. I had her in my arms for 12 days. And then my daughter, rightly so, you know, put an end to that. So I've carried around that heartbreak with me this entire time. And it is heartbreak. It's a practice in perfect love that many will never understand or know but it's been difficult. And, you know, the law office and the real estate office went dead at the same exact time. And I did get on unemployment for about nine weeks. And um, Chris didn't, I don't remember why. We did get some EIDL money and whatnot. So that helped a lot. But yeah, there was a few weeks where we were completely panicked financially. 
but I'm meant for this type of uh, scenario. What is it? What my business partner calls me a wartime leader. I've been through so much shit in my life that I have this like, all right, bring it on. What's next? What's these, what's the issues? What's the obstacles? I have that naturally. And I'm extremely grateful for that. And that is because of all the stuff that I've gone through and have overcome. So I really spent most of my time just trying to help everybody else. And everybody around me was a mess. My husband was struggling. My youngest daughter has struggled tremendously. She was, you know, um, she had a bad breakup in her junior year of her first boyfriend and issues with friends going in opposite directions after that. And then the pandemic hit. So she had junior year and then senior year. It was not fun. Then my daughter and her husband were pretty extreme in how they're isolating and uh, quarantining. And that caused a lot of stress. You know, my mother was, it just was like sad and lonely and just stressed out. So just, I kind of went into the role of trying to, um, take care of everybody. I became the, the grocery deliverer. <laughs> I would pick up all the groceries and I would bring it to everybody's house and I would do my window visits. So yeah, I had moments of fear, but moments of fear for me are moments of motivation. So yeah. so I, I don't like to claim anything. And you, you sort of got into this a little bit earlier in our conversation. I don't like to claim anything about another person's politics, but you seem to stand right in the middle. <laughs> um, and, and that's what we sort of discussed previously. You know, obviously in Putnam County, Republicans dominate the elected positions, um, and you definitely have a lot of Republican friends. However, you seem incredibly open to listening to people and finding common ground. At one point over the past year or two, you and I kind of got at it, uh, got into it um, privately on Facebook, on Facebook Messenger, uh, chatting back and forth, and you and I immediately found common ground. And I, I don't think that was necessarily because of me. I think that was, I think it was because of you. And um, you seem to be someone who kind of seeks common ground with people, um, yeah. which is which is why I guess being in the middle of the road sometimes gets you kind of you kind of get run over by people and, and kind of anger people. But tell me a little bit about that with your, you know, with your personality and trying to find common ground with people. Well, I guess some of it comes naturally because I am a Libra and it's not that I believe in horoscopes and all that, but there are a couple of personalities in my, I mean, a couple of strong uh, personalities in my family that are Leos and Libras. So the delineation is quite clear for me. Uh, my mom and my brother are Leos and they're the control freaks. And they're the ones that when we go on vacation, I'm not even allowed to drive because they're so tired. I'm like, okay. But anyway, so I'm a Libra. So I'm naturally um, always seeking balance. Um, it drives some of my friends and family crazy because I am always playing the devil's advocate and I never really fully take one side, which can drive people crazy. But then if you've seen me take a side, I'm pretty intense about it. Um, but you seem to be respectful of other people's opinions. I've, I've always seen you be uh, respectful of other people's opinions. It's important. And, yeah. I, and then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Buddhist. And um, so a lot of the B Buddhist philosophies talk about the, the middle path. And um, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. There was actually a great book that I read that really helps you to... Um, practice, I guess, equanimity, but it was um, something about Buddha and Jesus. And it's like the whole book just compares all the similarities. And so, um, and it teaches you to seek out the similarities as opposed to the differences. And then I've also learned in life, Brett, that two people with total opposite opinions can both be right. Like a hundred percent right. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, and actually, it was I don't know if you remember Kevin Bailey, but Kevin Bailey told sure me that yep. 
he was like, you should probably let people speak at board meetings. I know that you're very smart, Jen, but so are other people. And even though you're so passionate, you're so this, they could be right as well. And I was like, ah, okay. That's probably one of my non-strengths is sometimes I tend to think I'm the smartest person. So I've spent the last few years trying to get around as high level of intelligence as possible. But I don't understand how anybody can just spend their all day long, just first of all, just slandering another group of people who have different opinions and different feelings, especially some of these topics are very sensitive and I don't understand. So I'll give you a quick example. What is it? Reparations, right? That's the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think that I don't personally believe in, in reparations, but I can hundred percent understand why some people would be calling for them. If you start to take into consideration that our government man made ghettos, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Took slaves and put them into very specific neighborhoods where there was no public transportation. You couldn't walk for education, set up scenarios for generations and generations and generations and generations of people to fail. And when you have people who are already struggling grouped together, same as low-income housing, that's just not a good solution. So there are people who have been trapped in these ghettos for generations and generations and generations. And it takes an exceptional human being to get out of that scenario. So if you know that, or you think about that, and I think most people do know that, but don't actually have that conversation with themselves, you would think differently and maybe less angry when that word comes up. Now, I don't agree with that. I think better access to education, better access to opportunity, better access to so on and so forth. So I don't necessarily agree with reparations, but I don't agree with the nastiness that comes out of some people when that is talked about. I don't understand that, you know? So that's sort of just how my brain works. Like I, you really need to understand fully the impact it has on other people, not what you think are facts. Talk, really try to understand the impact. Because could you imagine, and I told you a little bit about my back. I'm, I have a very interesting story and um, I've been abused by police. I've been abused by black people. I've been abused by white people. So it's very easy for me to speak on both sides, but I can tell you, number one, Brett, if I was a black man, I would be dead 10 times over for what I went through in my twenties. So I do know my white privilege, even though I've lived a life of really of big difficulties. I recognize Mm -hmm. my white privilege regardless. And I still love police. And I think police are totally necessary. And I think probably more than 80, because I always say 80, 20 of any occupation Uh or city, I think more than 80 are amazing. Okay. I mean, 80, 20, it's usually 20 or no good, like 20% of lawyers, 20% of realtors, 20% of cops. I think it's probably less than that because it takes a certain person to decide to serve like that. Um, So I would say maybe 5%, you know, but I think some of what we do, I think policing in itself has gotten off course. I'm sorry. This wasn't a topic you even. No, this is fascinating. Okay. So I think that, you know, some of the ways we go about leadership in policing really needs to be altered. I mean, Brett, why should somebody be allowed to work in a high crime area for more than 18 months? 18 months. 
Interesting. Then you should get transferred over to some some place that is low crime. Nobody should be in a position. Of course, they end up racist if you only. And it's the same thing for cops who end up going in. Let's say some neighborhood in 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 the south where it's mostly white who are low-income and high-crime areas. There's lots of those. They probably become racist too, right? Yeah. So, and they probably also end up with PTSD as well when you're when you're well, in- That's just it, 18 yeah. months, and then they should yeah. have to switch out and go to a different kind of neighborhood. They should be in maybe not therapy, but you know, some sort of meditation, some sort of retreat. I think all elected officials should have to mandatory go on several retreats a year without the phone, without the this, without the that. And I think police- need the same, you know, they give so much, but to be stuck in, so I know police that were in these neighborhoods for 20 years, Yeah, 20 years. And it's, it's literally like going to hell every day. And, and, and this, is, and and this is what I'm talking about with you. You seem to be, it's fascinating that you see all sides. You know, I, I think that's just a unique part of your personality that you're able to see that. Well, it's, it's important, but it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. I got attacked in a restaurant in like August. I was sitting and eating my dinner and this woman who obviously had a couple comes over without a mask, uh, screaming and yelling at me, standing over my table. We were outdoors and she's screaming at me saying, you call my daughter a white girl, blah, blah, blah. Who the, and I couldn't figure out who she was. And then she pretended to spit on me and walk away. Wow. And I couldn't figure out what she was talking about. But what I had said to her on a Facebook comment was, if you're not a person of color or if you don't have children of color, I'm pretty sure that you're not the right person to decide whether or not there is a race issue in Putnam County. Because um, I had written something and, the, and she wrote like, you're the problem. There's no race problem here. It's people like you who are stirring the pot. And so, you have a, you have a daughter, uh, you have a daughter of color. I do. Um, and so you, you know, have you experienced racism, you know, firsthand? Has your daughter experienced it in, in Putnam County? I'm not going to lie and act like racism yeah. was a huge issue growing up here, but I was pretty blind to a lot of it. You know, she wrote an art, um, a beautiful essay that she won't let me share. Um, but she wrote a beautiful essay in like her junior year about her experience um, here. And it was it was pretty difficult, but she has no regrets and doesn't wish that I raised her somewhere else. I kind of do. I wish I raised her someplace with a little more diversity. You know, they would call her like uh, Snoop Dogg's daughter, Aunt Jemima, like some really, you know, actually I had a really, I had an argument with one of a very good friend of mine, very Italian American, very well known in this area, you know, posting like, you know, just angry about Aunt Jemima taking that picture off the box and I called him and I was like, mm, you know, they called my daughter Aunt Jemima in high school, right? And he said, well, you know, they called me John Gotti in high school, right? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure that in your group, he's revered and looked up to, and it was not meant as an insult. I said, do you think the same for what they're calling my daughter? And then he, uh, he finally understood, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't, uh, this whole culture that's out there right now, that's pissed off at people being pissed off or people being insulted, you're doing the same thing, mm. hypocrite, okay? Mm -hmm. You're insulted by people being insulted. That's the same exact thing. Why do you care is what I want to know. Why do you care? Because yeah. you're not seeing the other people's impact or how it's affecting them. And, and yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that people cry and whine about and complain about is bullshit, 
but I don't think everything is. And I also think if you don't, if it doesn't impact or affect your life, then why the hell is you, why are we out there screaming and yelling about things that really have no direct impact? Like to be mad at people for taking the publishers for taking their own books off the shelves. That's yeah. their prerogative. That's not censorship. That's choice. And see better, do better, right? Or know better, do better. Yeah. And I, I do think that social media is to blame for a lot of this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You discussed the importance of exercise and eating healthy and mental health. Uh, what do you, well, you, you said at the very beginning of our conversation, uh, you do have, you have an eclectic mix of, uh, of exercise, you know, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of how you eat, you know, also you mentioned Buddhism, you know, how, how do you stay healthy spiritually? And I also know that you've been involved with the Buddhist Association of the United States in Carmel, correct? And uh, I actually think it's one of the prettiest places to visit in Putnam County. I've, anytime I have visitors, I, I used to live in Carmel. I just, just moved uh, to, uh, it's the only place I could afford to get a larger house was in uh, Newtown, Connecticut. Um, oh. But, um, you know, tell me about your experience with the Buddhist Association. Why is Buddhism important to you and how has it helped you both personally and professionally? So like I told you, when I came up here, I was, I was a hot mess and, um, you know, I got married for the wrong reasons. I, um, had a very public divorce and just was a mess. Let's just put it that way. So, um, and this is like right after like getting into the political mess, I just needed something. And I had been up there like once or twice with my, um, uncle that lived in Newtown and also my mom. And, um, I just needed something. And I started Googling and I came across this Buddhist priest training program that they were giving. So it was, it was a three-year program and then another three years to become an ordained priest. So three years, and then you graduate from that, and then you could go on and become an ordained priest. So I did, I came, I became an ordained Buddhist priestess. Um, And um, it was really the first place when I went into this class, everybody in there was like, had a PhD. I mean, they, they, debated like every word that Buddha ever wrote or spoke about, or somebody else wrote that he spoke about, like just debated everything and everything on a really high intellectual level. So I go into this class and I feel like this big. And, um, so the first assignment gets given and I totally got it. Like I totally understood the message that this book was giving, or at least that's the thing about reading religion. It really can resonate differently at different times. So whatever was happening at that time, I just grasped, or I say grokked, if you know what that comes from. Um, immediately, Where does that come from? Grok, I think is um, stranger in a strange land. Okay. But um, I totally got it. And so when the teacher, you know, after listening to all these presentations that just blew me away because they're so in depth and so intellectual. And then when I got it and my teacher who was um, taught under Thich Nhat Hanh, so he's, he's a very uh, accomplished Buddhist monk said to me, like, you got it. He called me instant noodle. That's awesome. You are instant noodle. You don't have, and then there's the, in, in Buddhism, there's the 16th patriarch who he said that perhaps I was a reincarnation of, and the 16th patriarch got it instantly. The mm. middle path and the um, suchness, which is basically your personality, you know, that all of this is not real. 
So it's played a huge role because like I said, I really, um, you know, I had addiction issues. I had all kinds of issues um, and something that I still have to be careful. I, I drink still and it's something I know I have to be careful. And I know I, I still even drink too much. Um, but Buddhism has been the thing that eliminated my anxiety, eliminated my depression, eliminated that, you know, extreme uh, addictive personality yeah. and um, has taught me how to have healthy relationships and taught me how to um, practice perfect love and, and taught me to enjoy everything. You know, like I loved this rainy weekend. I love, you know, I try to just naturally embrace whatever's happening and, and, and Buddhism's philosophies sort of solidify my way of thinking as a human being. So just instantly fell into it and it instantly made me a better person and instantly gave me a sense of comfort and joy that I never had. So I have to ask you, do you know the Dalai Lama? I don't know the Dalai Lama. I'm, I'm actually surprised. I'm surprised. I, I thought the answer was going to be yes, you do. No, that's just, that's just because the first time you met me, I was introducing uh, Chuck Schumer. So you think I have like connections, <laughs> but I don't. That was actually the Chuck Schumer day was great because I put it together with Pete Bardenas and we actually had applied and got a, a 900 and something thousand dollars for the downtown parking that is finally happening. It yep. got washed away Okay. when the Democrats took office the next September, mm-hmm. all that earmark money got washed away and went to the CFA process. And we never got that million dollars. But so we brought them here and there was like 10 men who decided that they were, you know, in, I was the chairperson of the board and I brought them here, but 10 men who decided they needed to be in the room that day to discuss with Chuck Schumer. Chuck never took his eyes off of me. It was great. I remember I, I, he thanks you and, uh, you know, we he, went, we went to he, he acted like you were, he was your best friend. We went to brother yeah. and sister schools in, um, and I went to uh, Fontbonne Hall Academy of Girls, and he graduated from Severian oh, um, High School, which are right next door. And like yeah. notorious, the boys sneaking into the girls and the girls sneaking into the boys. So so we just, you know, found that common ground. We both grew up in, in um, well, I didn't grow up in Bay Ridge, but I, I spent many, many years there. And so we found that common ground. But no, I don't know the Dalai Lama, but I would love to meet the Dalai Lama. I've, I've gone to see him speak and whatnot, but he came, he's in Putnam County is the only place he's been twice, I believe. Really? Yeah. Cause he went to the Garrison Institute okay. and, and he also went to the monastery. Okay. Now tell me, um, you mentioned earlier in the interview, um, about being, uh, or becoming a business coach. Uh, what are your plans for that? I'm working with several coaches right now. Uh, John Cheplak is my real estate um, business coach. Uh, Robin Sharma is an you know an international coach, and then also Brian Johnson. I'm in uh, in a coaching program with him as well. And um, I was doing an exercise with my agents because I totally know for a fact that it's much easier to achieve your goals when you're emotionally attached to your goals. So I asked my agents to go through an exercise of remembering a time when they felt, oh, this is it. This is my purpose. This is why I'm alive. And you felt that like that complete feeling. Yeah. You know, where you felt complete and you know, you're on the right path and blah, blah, blah. And that for me is always in helping people. So I made the decision that day that that's it. Like this is, and, and I'm, I'm kind of naturally starting to get a little bored of selling and listing real estate. 
which I never thought would happen, but I guess you did, you know, you evolve. And so I made the decision that day, like that's, that's it. That's what I want to do. So I'm about six months in on, uh, on that. So I have to get J. Philip real estate to be a billion dollar company. And then the next thing is national coach. So I'm super excited. That's awesome. If you could give uh, new entrepreneurs any advice, what would you tell them? I would definitely pick up the book I read this weekend called The Miracle Equation by Hal Elrond. And I will um, actually sum it down to you that success or actually life in general are made up of two decisions, two decisions. Okay. And the word decision or choice is extremely important here, okay? Because you can set the goals in this now, but every day, every action is a choice and something you need to decide. But the major two decisions are whatever your goals are, you're gonna have unwavering faith and you wanna have a giant goal. So you're shooting for the moon and you gotta have unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And I totally believe if you wake up every day and you believe, listen, I go on these videos and I look like an idiot sometimes. I don't know what the hell I'm saying sometimes. I look like crap sometimes. I am uneducated and use the wrong words sometimes. You never look like crap. I'll tell you that. And (laughs) and I think you sound great, but. Well, I appreciate it. But the bottom line is we all, all, we all think these things show up and do it. I am a true believer. As long as you get up every day and give it your all, everything will always be okay. And beyond that, you can achieve the unachievable. I love it. I love it. We can sort of wind this down a little bit. You seem to be a progressive modern woman. You were just married and you made your husband take your last name. (laughs) Now, for those people unfamiliar with Jen and her husband, this is totally a joke question. How did that come to be that you uh, found Chris Marr um, and, and you uh, started the Marr family together. So actually how I met Chris Marr was when I was new to the board at the Maybach Carmel Chamber of Commerce. I got on a committee with Lori Ford, the scholarship committee, and they gave me a list of phone numbers to call. So Chris Marr is not, you know, to collect money. So Chris Marr's number's on there and I call the office and I hear, hello. He had this very uh, raspy voice secretary back then. I'm like, can I speak this Chris Marr? And she hesitates and I say, no relation. So now, unbeknownst to me, he knew who I was because I had real estate signs all over the place. And his father was like, said to him, who's this? He had just come back to town. He was working in Manhattan forever. So right after 9-11, he came back. And um, so it's probably 2013 or 2012. Um, so I call and no, no relation. Then he picks up and he says, is this the Jennifer Marr I married in a drunken stupor 21 years ago? (laughs) That's the first thing he said to you. First thing he said to me. That's so funny. And I was like, well, I would have been like 11. So I don't think so, but I instantly loved him. And my business partner at the time was Billy Hogue. And Billy's like, oh, we should start giving him some business. So we started giving him business and I still had never met him in person. All right, so here, now you're getting another deep dart secret. You ready? Uh So my ex and I had very volatile ending and um, let's just say the cops got involved. Uh (laughs) And let's just say my business partner started calling Chris, like you gotta get Jen out of jail. And I was nursing. So I had a baby at home. Chris, Chris bails me out. 
and Billy picks me up. I'm in my pajamas. We head right over to Chris Mars office. And the first thing he says to me is I can't represent you. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, your husband just called me out of the phone book because of the same last name, but he didn't understand the name when he heard it because he was mumbling or something and was on the phone with my husband for like a half an hour before we got there. So now it's conflict. Oh yeah. no. No, but that was yeah. the first time we met in person. And when he, when he, it was when he bailed you out. Yeah. You got me out. Yeah. And, um, and then he couldn't represent me and we just became, we became friends, you know, yeah. and I had a couple other incidences in my life where I need him. And, and then I got my act together and, uh, I didn't need him for a really long time. And, I don't know. He's been divorced about eight years. So we, we dated maybe um, six years ago for a little while and he just wasn't ready yet. And then we started dating again four years ago and he never left my house. So it's wonderful. It is wonderful. I've been single a long time and well, very few people could put up with me. Well, I don't believe that, but what, what does the next year look like for Jenmar? What does the next five years look like? And what does the next 10 years look like? The next one to three years is just incredible amounts of work getting um, both the law office and the real estate company to a really good place. So then we can be away from them more and more. Um, So in five years, I plan on being at my DR condo uh, for the bulk of the year um, and grow my my coaching company. And um, the same for Chris, grow his law office. We're actually uh, hiring an an attorney today. I'm so excited. We have a new attorney coming on board and we're trying to grow the practice Mm -hmm. so that we can retire instead of doing the opposite. Um, Because both of us, you know, kind of don't have a huge nest egg. We're just starting to get there to to save and grow. So that's, you know, semi-retirement in three to five years uh, is really what the goal is. But with having a national coaching practice as well. But you know, that you can do pretty much wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it. So, and in 10 years, the same, you know, and then figure out what the next step is Yeah, in helping people. Well, Jen, I think you're never going to stop helping people. I think that you're always going to inspire people. And, you know, I really appreciated talking to you. Um, and it's been a yeah. fascinating conversation just to learn more about you. I feel like I've learned a lot more about you and, uh, and, uh, I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. So, and you're going to continue to inspire people. The timing is good. I'm a little bit inspired by my friend who's running for office. She's a new friend. It's not like I even really know her. Never apologize for who you are. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. And it's, it's just part of being a human being, the good, the bad, the ugly. Jen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett.